0: Father, we are your people. And we worship you this morning. God, may the meditations of our hearts and our thoughts be pleasing in your sight and to your ears. O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, it's good to be here this morning with you all. If you're online, it's good to be with you as well. And a Happy New Year. I know some of you are thinking, well, he's either has a screw loose or he really wants 2020 to be over. (laughs) And uh, don't we all want that? But no, uh, neither of those are the cases. You see, this is the start of Advent, as Peter uh, said earlier. And the start of Advent is actually the start of the Christian New Year, the start of the Christian calendar. Um, And so we all have this way of orienting ourselves around time. So maybe you kind of use the yearly calendar and, uh, or maybe you're a parent and you kind of more operate around the school calendar or something like that. Um, or maybe you're kind of a seasonal person and, and you really, you know, the pumpkin spice latte really tells you when fall is here. And so, um, but, but the Christian church for centuries now has actually oriented themselves around time in a little bit different way. They have oriented themselves around the Christian calendar. And, and what it does is it, is it helps us, to, it ties us to the story of God throughout time. And so, uh, there's different seasons in this calendar, like Epiphany, where it talks about kind of the life of Christ, and it goes through the life of Christ, and then, um, and then Ash Wednesday is—I don't know if you guys—it's uh, where you get the little ashes on your forehead, and it leads you into the season of Lent, the season of fasting and, and giving something up, and, and waiting for Easter, and Holy Week, and Easter comes, and then uh, there's this there's this wonderful. Um, rejoicing of the resurrection. Um, And then there's Advent. So, Advent is kind of really the start of this Christian calendar. And in Advent, we are eagerly anticipating the birth of Christ. We're kind of caught in this in-between the already, but the not yet. And and that's why we light this candle, uh, this candle of hope that reminds us that even during these dark times, God is with us. So, I'm going to read a passage from Scripture this morning, and uh, as Peter said, on, on Wednesday I'm going to be leading a class about Lectio Divina, and, uh, and so we're actually going to practice a little bit of that right now. I'll give you a little taste of that, and maybe uh, if you're interested, you can come on Wednesday as well. So, as we read this passage so often we read scripture and it turns into almost this like information that we're trying to gain more knowledge or that we're trying to to acquire something and what lectia divina does is that actually instead of acquiring more and reading more it helps us surrender and it helps us to know god more uh, richard Rohr says this he says he says that knowing god not knowing more is the goal. And I think that's really profound, especially as we're diving into Scripture this morning. So I'm going to kind of lead you through this this morning, and, and as, we, as we go, I'm going to ask you to kind of engage with this Scripture passage in a couple of different ways. So the first time that I read the Scripture passage it comes from Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 through 9, and I'm reading it from the NSRV. N- NRSV. NRSV. <laughs> there we go. And uh, I'm, I'm going to read this, I'm going to read it three times to us. And the first time, I want you to engage with it just by picking out a word or a phrase that really sticks out to you. So let's read this together. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fires kindled brushwood, and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you and your ways, but you are angry and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, we are all your people. So think about a word or a phrase that really stuck out to you in that passage. the second time as i read it i really want you guys to to really just listen to listen to what god is saying to you in this passage what is god how is god speaking to you in this passage oh that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you and your ways, but you were angry. And we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us. And have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, we are all your people. What is God saying to you in this passage? How is He speaking? Now, I'm going to read it a third time. And this third time, I want you to engage with it in asking this question How is God asking me to respond? How is God asking me to to respond to what he is saying to me in this passage? Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways. But you were angry, and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever now consider we are all your people how is god asking you to respond Have you ever been lost? Maybe it was when you were young and you were in the grocery store with your parents and you're in the cereal aisle looking at captain crunch and you looked up and they were gone and you didn't know what to do. And you started to panic and freak out a little bit and, or maybe it was, you know, you're a little bit older and you're driving and you took a wrong turn somewhere and all of a sudden you had no idea where you were kind of in this disoriented place. Well, a few years ago, I, uh, I led, I led some, a backpacking trip. I led a backpacking trip for uh, the college age. And while we were on this trip, uh, we got lost in the backwoods of Arkansas, imagine that. And uh, so as, w- as we were going though, I-, I had planned out this trip for months. In fact, I had actually gone on this trail quite a few times. I- I'd hiked this trail probably three or four times. So I thought I knew exactly what I was doing. I knew where I was going. I knew that we wanted to hike in about five miles and there would be this turnoff. And as you go on this turnoff, there's a little campsite. And, and so I was waiting for this turnoff and we're hiking and all of a sudden, you know, we're about six, seven miles in and uh, people are starting to get a little bit antsy, and I'm starting to freak out because I'm like, I have no idea where I'm at. Uh, and, and as we're going, things started to look a little bit more unfamiliar, right? Uh, this, this path that I thought I was so certain of all of a sudden was turning into this path of disorienting chaos where I had no idea where I was. And uh, and so what happened is I, I kind of sat them all down and, and I really did not want to camp right on, the, <laughs> right on the trail. And so I sat them all down and I, and I had another leader there with me and I, I brought him over and I said, I said, okay, I'm lost <laughs> and I don't know where the campsite is. So, and I said, you know, so basically what we're gonna have to do is you're gonna have to go about a mile back and see if we missed it. And I'll go a mile forward and see if we haven't got there yet. And so, uh, you know, we start going and, and he, you know, he goes the other way and I go, I go this way. And, and as we're going, you, you know, I, I think when, when you get lost, something happens to your body. So as you, as you get lost, you, you start to like, I don't know, freak out a little bit. You start to sweat a little bit. And, and, and as you're going, though, you start to become keenly aware of your surroundings in a way that you, you're not normally aware right? Like when you're driving home, sometimes if you're going from work to home, sometimes you can drive all the way from work to home and you don't even remember how you got there. But when you're lost, you know exactly what is going on around you and you're, and you're keenly aware. And so as, as I'm going, I start to become more aware of my surroundings and what's going on around me. And, and about a half mile down the trail, I find the fork in the road that takes us to the campsite. <laughs> so we just hadn't got there yet. So what, I, what ended up happening actually was, was I started a, a, in a different spot than what I, what I thought. And so I started about two miles um, back from where I originally wanted to start. And so by the time I got there, I, I, was, I was just completely distraught, and, um, but things worked out okay. We, we were saved in the, in the backwoods of Arkansas, and we, we made it. But this is, where, this is where Israel finds themselves. Israel is lost. They are in the midst of exile right now, the Babylonian exile. This is where this passage takes place. Isaiah is, is, in, is saying, rip open the heavens and come down and save us. They've been in this Babylonian exile for so long that they have forgotten who they are. They've forgotten where they came from. And they're in this place that is really just disorienting this place where they they're asking and wondering where is god when is god going to show up and deliver us and they've been wondering this for so long that in fact many of them had given up on this many of them had just adapted to the ways of the babylonians slowly and surely over time and now they're in this place where they're completely lost And the text says, We have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. We have no substance left in us. There is no one who calls on your name. We've stopped calling on your name because we don't know where you're at. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us. And instead of delivering through the Red Sea, they've been delivered into the hand of their iniquity. There is a hopelessness that rings out in this lament. This is a lament, by the way. This is, this is Israel lamenting that they are lost. Where is God and why hasn't he shown up? Why hasn't he shown up like he showed up in Egypt? Right? The God we were so certain would always be there. The God we were so certain would fight for us that we knew exactly who he was is now nowhere to be found. Now many of us have, have been in this same place, right? I think looking around this room, a lot of us have been in this place where, where we are disoriented, where we feel lost, where we feel a sense of heaviness that God has hidden his face from us and just given us over to whatever it is. And the thing about being lost is that being lost has really nothing to do with us wanting to be lost, right? Like, you, you don't try to get lost, and if you do, you're really not lost because you know where you came from. But what happens is, is you, it's not like you get to choose. It's something that happens whether you like it or not. You know, you know maybe, maybe you've lost your job, or maybe the one that you loved for so long has left. Or maybe a loved one has died. Or there's a cancer diagnosis. Really any experience that forces us into this place where, where we're disoriented. Where there's this chaos and you no longer know the direction of your life. You don't know how to get back to where you started, and everything that was once so certain starts to become a little uncertain. See, in this passage, Isaiah begs a silent God to show up. He, he, he did, he, at the beginning, he says, would you rip open the heavens? And I just love this imagery. Would you rip open the heavens? Because this is what Israel knows from God. That God is going to show up in this kind of shock and awe way and reveal himself in a fiery bush, or he's going to part the Red Sea for them, or he's going to come down onto this mountain and shake the mountain and destroy their enemies. And so when that doesn't happen, they start to wonder where is God? Where is the God that I was once so certain that I knew? And this story is really a microcosm of our faith journey, right? It's this, it's this microcosm of our faith journey where we start off kind of so certain of who God is. We start off, and we know who God is supposed to be. And it really is maybe this God who started who, who's, was very real to us at first. But then slowly we turn this God into one that looks like us, right? It's a God that we start to create in our own image. It's a God who responds to our ways of thinking and kind of fits into our nice, neat little box. A God who, can, who we can talk to but doesn't necessarily need to talk back to us. But then all of a sudden, our box implodes <laughs> Right? Whatever it is, whatever circumstance it is, and maybe it's something that you've done, maybe it's an outside experience that's happened to you, but whatever it is, our box all of a sudden just kind of implodes. And what we once thought was so nice and neat is now messy and disordered. A God we once thought we had control over is now silent and seems to be kind of slipping through our clenched fist and we're left with this doubt and maybe a little bit of silence and maybe some cynicism as well. But here's what I would say to you this morning is that we must lose God in order for God to find us. We must lose God and when I say that, I'm saying God in the sense of a little g God. We must lose this God that we have created in order so that God can find us. And if you don't believe this, just read the entire chapter of Luke 15. Because Luke 15 has three parables about getting lost. <laughs> and so um, you know, Jesus in Luke 15 is talking to two groups of people. He's talking to tax collectors who are considered sinners, and then he's talking to Pharisees who are considered more of the religious elite. So we have sinners, and we have those who are unrighteous, and then we have the religious elite and those who are righteous. And what he says is he, he, he reads them, or he tells them three parables. He tells them three stories. And, and the first story is the lost sheep, and this is the sheep that strays away from the 99 and the shepherd goes, leaves the 99. And he goes after the one sheep who is lost. And he says this, he says, more joy over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance. And what he's saying is that he's not that he doesn't care about those who are in his flock right here, but what he's saying is that, if, if we think we can save ourselves, if we think that our righteousness is, is self-made or our God is the God that we have created in our nice little box, then what happens is we can't get to this point where he can find us. Because we don't think we need to be found. But when we realize we're lost, <laughs> like this little sheep, then he can find us. And there's so much joy in that. And then there's the story of the widow who, I'm I'm sorry, not the widow, but the, the woman who loses one of her 10 coins and she literally drops everything she's doing and she cleans her whole house and reorders her entire life in order to find the one coin. And there's so much joy when she finds that coin. And then the last parable that he tells is one that you are probably pretty familiar with. It's the parable of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son, he gives up his inheritance in order to go kind of, uh, or sorry, he gets his inheritance and he goes and he lives in kind of this wild way. And, and, and along the way, he, he gets lost. And he no longer really knows who he is. And then he remembers his father And so he goes back to his father, and his father invites him back in, and he throws a celebration for him. And all the while, the self-righteous older brother has been there the whole time, not being lost, right? Not needing to be saved. I got my stuff in order. And he's the one that steps outside of the banquet and doesn't come in. And so I think, you know, as we think about our faith journey, we think about a God who we have created. We have control over. We have order over. And that's okay, right? This is a part of the journey, a God who makes sense. (laughs) But as we go along, we have to get lost. We have to get lost, because if you're not going to get lost, then you can't be found by God. But as he finds you, he rescues you, and he reorders your life, and He loves you and he cares for you. you know, Jesus says over and over, "Whoever wants to save his life must. what? Get lost. He must lose his life. And what he's saying is, they must lose their ego. You must lose your way of wanting to do things. You must lose your image that you have created, that you think is God. See, the God we're losing is our own God. It's the God we've made in our image, which is an idol, right? The God of certainty and control. And when we continue to trust this God, what happens is we come to a place of brokenness because this God that we've created can't handle these experiences that we're going through. And so we finally end up coming to this place of brokenness, this place where we are completely lost and we can't escape this place. We can't work our way out of this place. We can't, uh, you know, know, we can't self-righteously pull ourselves up out of this place. But what we can do is we can wait and trust that there is a God who finds us. And this is a little bit of the story of Advent, a God who enters into our world, who enters into our mess, who enters into our chaos, and doesn't isn't afraid of it isn't afraid of us asking these tough questions but instead he's right there in the midst of us he's been there all along and we just didn't realize it it is then the god of salvation that he truly rescues us on his terms through powerlessness and vulnerability and through a baby See the hope of the world. He he is the hope of the world. But you can only get to this place where you need hope if you're willing to get lost. Because <laughs> if you're still in this over here and you got it all figured out and you got it all in order, then there's really not a whole lot of need for hope. But once you move into this disorienting place where you feel like I can't do this, I can't do this on my own. I need I need rescued. I need saved. Then that is the place of hope. That's the place where God shows up. But the reality is that God, the, so, so this, is, this is what happened to Israel, right? Israel is in this place right now in this text. They've been in exile for so long. They, they ha- have just come to this place where, where Isaiah is just saying, we don't know what else to do, God. Where are you? Why haven't you showed up? And this is the reality is that God has not abandoned them. In fact, God is is actually present in the midst of their suffering, in the silence. God is helping Israel rediscover who God is. And so it's during this time of exile and suffering and pain and hardship and questions and doubt that God is actually right there. So there's this um, author, his name is Eli Wetzel, I think, is how you say it. I'm not, I am German, but I don't know how to speak German. Um, and he is a, uh, a famous writer. He wrote the book Night. Many of you have probably read it in like your English class or something like that. Um, but, but what he, he's a Holocaust survivor, and, and he writes about his experience in a concentration camp, and he's writing about this experience, about how he, what what they would, the, just really the horrors of what they would do and make them do in these concentration camps, and he was describing this experience of how he, um, how they would bring them in front of the gallows where they would hang people, in front of them. And they would make them watch as they hung, the people that they knew, right in front of them. And and one day they're making them watch, and as he's watching this unspeakable evil and suffering, he hears a man behind him and he says, this man behind him, he heard him asking, he said, for God's sakes, where is God? And the pain in this moment is so raw and so real. And I really think all of us can relate All of us have had these moments of pain where we've had to ask this question. We've had to wrestle with this. For God's sakes, where is God? Even on the cross. Jesus says, why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he hears this man ask this question, for God's sakes, where is God? He says, he says this, and from within me I heard a voice answer. Where is he? This is where. Hanging from the gallows. Hanging from this gallows. Whew. See, God has, refi- God has revealed himself in a whole new way. It's no longer the the God who rips open the heavens and comes down in this shock and awe way, but instead it's a God who is making them new. Like the lost sheep and like the coin and the sun, God is finding them in their place of suffering and lostness. And he's right there present with them. He is reordering their deliverance. And it's not around power and it's not around might, but it's around powerlessness and vulnerability and self-sacrificial love and mutual relationship. And this is the reordered way. And it's not some abstract God that's far off that hasn't ever acted like this, but no, this is, this is in fact the God who is, has been there all along and we just didn't realize it. See, Israel has finally made it to this place where they have nothing left. They're completely broken. They're lost. They feel abandoned. And they're just about to count God out. And then God says, now. Now I can work. Now I can start to work. And so after all this hopelessness and feelings of abandonment, the text says, yet. And I love this little word. God has hidden yet. God, we have been broken, yet. God, we have lost our home and don't know how to get back, yet. We have sinned and created you in our own image, yet. The text says, "O Lord, you are our father, We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. One time I took Kara to an art studio. We went on a date together. We went to this art studio. And at this art studio, they would give you just this lump of clay and you could take this lump of clay, and they had all these sorts, uh, these pottery wheels and things, and you would take the clay, and you would go back on the pottery wheel and, and, and just kind of start to make your own pottery. And this was really fun. It was really hard, though, because what would happen is, if, if you've ever, never done pottery before, and I had not until this point, um, what would happen is is the clay, you, you had to get it just the right wetness so that you could mold it into the way you wanted it to. And, and, and if it was too wet, then it would crumble or it would, it, it would just sink back down. And, and then, you know, as you're going, you, you would just get to the point where you're like, okay, I'm there. I, I'm just about, and then there would be one little tiny mess up and it'd be almost impossible to fix. And then you had to make sure the clay was really directly centered on this pottery wheel, because if it wasn't, then as it spun, it would be all lopsided, and then it would just look really strange by the end of it. And um, so it was fun. But uh, out of the two hours we were there, uh, you know, Kara's like making these bowls and cups and she's just like setting them to the side and I still have the same lump of clay on my thing the whole time I was trying to do it. And, and I, I, I'm not kidding you, I literally didn't make anything the whole time I was there. Part of it is my perfectionist mentality, but I, I, I just, I couldn't do it. I, I, I had to reform it and continue to try again. And uh, it was really frustrating for me. <laughs> but, but the Father is a potter. And he's slowly working with the clay to form us with the divine potential. I love that. I love this divine potential that he sees in this lump of clay that really is nothing at the start. And this formation process is slow, and it's often subtle, and he works the clay, and he forms it, and then he kind of reforms it again. And um, you can see in that video, she was kind of crushing it, and then she would build it back up. And uh, that's kind of how pottery works is, is you've got to kind of crush it first and then uh, get it on there nice and then you can kind of try and build it up from there. And, um, and I think that's how God is, is working with us. And if you could even picture his hands that are so sure and so gentle, but yet at the same, so skill, same time so skillful and so loving. <laughs> and he's forming us. And so as we, as we go from this place of certainty to where we you know, kind of had built up our own image, we, we realized that we were the potter right here and that we were making the clay and that we were making God really in our own image and creating more of an idol than a God. And so as, as we're being reformed and we're being crushed and we're being, you know, we're getting lost, then God is able to start his work. And it's slow, and it's hard, and it takes time. But the, here the prophet offers a different perspective. So the prophet, he offers a God who forms us, and not the other way around, not a God that we form. So the prophetic vocation was really to, ima- to sorry the prophetic vocation was really to reimagine, was to help Israel reimagine fresh possibilities for deliverance and human wholeness. And so this is what the prophet was doing. And, and, and this is what Isaiah is specifically doing in this passage. He's saying, okay, remember the old way that God acted, and we're grateful for that. But now we're here, lost and totally abandoned, and God's not acting in that way anymore. God is acting in a totally new way to bring about our deliverance. And this way is through a manger, through a baby. And, and, and so it's just, honestly, this totally new way that we have to rethink of who God is. I know 2020 has been a difficult year for many of us. Right? We have a virus that has swept across the world There's been social unrest and injustice. There's been job loss. There's been skyrocketing rates of depression and loneliness. There's fires and tsunamis and all sorts of other natural disasters and political turmoil, divisiveness. So it's natural. In a world of chaos, we seek to provide some sort of order, right? We give our opinions, you know based based on our own agendas and place our hope in our own perspectives yet at the same time we kind of wonder where is god in all of this why isn't god intervening on my behalf why isn't he doing the things that i want done but you see god god is caught in this sort of tug of war right and we've been talking about this for the past four or five weeks, and we'll probably continue talking about it, but he's caught in this tug of war where somebody on the right says, well, God, don't you care about the unborn babies? He says, yes, God, but don't you also care about the immigrants and the value of their life? He says, yeah, but don't you care about our rights and our freedoms and and taking care of us Well, God, don't you care about the environment as well? God, don't you care about the small businesses in these places that are really struggling right now? Well, God, don't you care about these people who are sick and maintaining social distance and staying inside as much as we can? And then we find that here is this God who's being stretched in so many different directions. But then we see God for who God truly is. We see the true image of God. And he's right here hanging on a cross. In the midst of all this suffering. In the midst of all of our pain. He's being ripped apart. I think I think that first rip open the heavens. This is heaven being ripped open. It's God hanging on this cross and showing you a new way of deliverance, which is through self sacrificial love. And this isn't outside of who God is, and in fact, this is exactly who God is. And I know that sometimes we have a different image of who God should be, but God is Jesus. Jesus is salvation. And Jesus comes in the form of a baby, and he's broken and vulnerable and powerless. I just had a baby. They need so much attention and so much care. They can't do things on their own, and here is our salvation. He's doing a new thing. And this is really the, the journey of faith, the story of this community as well. You know, I haven't been in this community super long. I've only been here a few months, but from my understanding, it started in this place of certainty where, you know, we knew what it took to build the church, right? We knew what it took to get people to come. We knew what it took to grow. And then some lostness took place, and we started asking questions. And we started rethinking things, and this was I imagine a very painful time. A time where splits took place and people were hurt. A time where God was still present and hadn't abandoned us. And now he is reordering us in a new way, right? And we have reordered ourselves around a God who is salvation. And this is the beauty of Advent. It's a time where we eagerly anticipate the arrival of the Messiah. We remember how God has acted in the past, and we're thankful for that. We remember how God is acting now, even in the midst of our pain and darkness, suffering. And we remember how God will continue to act. So it's an already but a not yet kind of waiting already knowing the end of the story and living it out in participation with Christ and his body here and now, even if we feel lost. And this is that self-sacrificial love. And, and you may be thinking, well, actually, I feel pretty good right now. <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel lost. I don't have any major life tragedies, and I don't feel like God is silent. And, and that's great. I think that these are all seasons. And really, when you get to this kind of reordered what ends up happening is, is it just cycles back through and you get into this place of order again and then disorder and then you get reordered again and it just kind of all phew, cycles through. And so if, if you don't feel like you're in this place right now, that's, that's okay, but I would still encourage you, especially during these next few weeks till Christmas, to, to really practice getting lost and embody the way of, of surrendering your certain image of God. So what image have you built up? What image have you created? You know, and, 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 and get lost to that in order to find God and allow God to find you and to recreate you in his image. So maybe as we approach the birth of our vulnerable Savior, we can embrace our lostness for a few weeks. And we can surrender to the God who uh, you have made in your own image and, and, and really allow God to just reform you in this. And so how do you start to embody this? Well, I, I think you get lost. You take a new, maybe you take a new way home that you've never taken before. Maybe it's not as efficient, but you, you kind of drive through a new neighborhood. Or uh, or maybe you find a way to get out of your regular routine and do something outside of your comfort zone, like meet new people, or uh, learn, maybe eat, like eat at a different restaurant, or I guess you can't eat at restaurants right now, but get to go at a different restaurant or uh, just something that really pushes you outside of your comfort zone. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's you join a small group. I think that the worst thing in the world is to get lost by yourself. <laughs> That's, that stinks. But when you get lost with other people, it's a little bit easier because you have people that are caring for you and going through that with you And so maybe to join a small group, and maybe that is a little bit hard for you. Maybe it's hard for you to be vulnerable and hard for you to um, be in community with people who are different than you. But that's a part of what it means to get lost because they help kind of implode that box of uh, order that you've created for yourself. Really, as we come to the table today, this is... This is uh, the beauty of being in community and mutual relationship is that, you know, I, I kind of gave you that image of Christ being pulled apart, right? In so many different directions. We all have these different ideas of who God should be. And yet, who we see God to be is the God who is on the cross, the God who dies for us, the God who cares for us. And so, as we come to the table this morning, this. Is God's body broken for you? This is God tearing open the heavens. This is what Isaiah means when he says, tear open the heavens. He's tearing open his own body so that you can participate in the divine life of Christ. And in the same way, he took the cup and he... uh, He said, this is my blood. This is the cup of the new covenant shed in my blood. He said, every time you eat of this bread and you drink of this cup, do so in remembrance of me. Remembrance of who I am. So every time you get lost, remember who I am. And I will find you. And ripping open the heavens for you, and coming down to embody this broken body and shed blood. And so, as we participate this morning, I would ask that, as you come forward, that you would that you would think about maybe the God that you have created for yourself. Whatever that is, I think we all do it. None of us are free of that whatever ego that you have created for your own self and allow that to be ripped apart (laughs) and come to the broken body and the shed blood of Christ and know that he has found you and that he is reforming you. He's reordering your life. He's delivering you in a whole new way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we get to be together that we get to be your people, your body. Lord, and we know that community is hard. We know that community is hard. It's hard work. It takes effort to be together sometimes. And we have all these different ways of seeing you and understanding you, Lord, and that's all so valuable. All these different experiences that we walk into this place with, and the value of that is you take that and, and you reshape it and you remold it and you remind us who you are. Remind us that, God, you you are a God who opens up the heavens and redeems your people. But Lord, you're doing that in a whole new way. And so, Lord, this Advent season, would we be reminded that in the midst of our darkness, in the midst of our suffering and everything that's going on in our world, that you have not abandoned us. God, in fact, you are, you are right there with us. God, that you are redeeming us and reordering us in a new way. That you have come as a baby, a vulnerable and powerless baby. God, and you have given your life in an act of self-sacrificial love. And so, God, can we look at the true image of Christ? Can we look at you? And can we become like you, God? So, God, we thank you for your broken body and your shed blood. And we pray this all in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So if you're feeling lost this morning, take hope for your salvation is coming, and it may not be in the way you expect it. It may not be in the way that you think it should happen, but your salvation is coming. Go in the peace of Christ this morning. Blessings to you all.